welcome back to the Coaches Rising podcast. Today I am joined by Nicholas Yanni. It's been a while since he was last on the podcast, so it's a real delight to have him again. Nicholas is a coach. He works with organizations facilitating transformation and he trains coaches. For me, he's one of these teachers who is at the edge of an emerging new paradigm inside of coaching, which we will talk about today. And he is the author of Leader as Healer, A New Paradigm for 21st Century Leadership, which was published to wider acclaim in 2022. And so today we're going to be talking about the work Nicholas does with his clients. So we'll talk about the paradigm that his work emerges from. We'll talk about what's it like to be him when he's coaching people what's guiding the coaching, what principles does he bring to the coaching, why is it different from a lot of kinds of coaching that we'll find in today's world. All right, let's dive in. Here's the podcast with Nicholas Yanni. Mr. Nicholas Yanni, good to be with you again. That's the pleasure of the second time this week, which is a delight. How are you right now? Joel, it's great. I'm looking forward very much to to our exchange and uh, yeah, very happy to be here. Thank you. Mm. Yeah, we're going to get stuck into your coaching and your work with leaders and the paradigm that it kind of sits within and some of the specific aspects of it. So uh, I think this has been a conversation on the podcast for a while, you know, this sense of the the times we're in and the perhaps the, the paradigms we're in between. And, um, you know, that only seems to be accentuated with the, you know, the the rapid unfolding of AI and some of the possibilities of that. And so um, I'm just curious if you could speak into the work you do on a broader level in terms of how do you think it's different than a lot of work, transformational work that may have occurred previously or coaching that's around these days even how would you how would you define it so first of all i think we're in catastrophic times even if you listen to someone like daniel schmachtenberger the different catastrophe scenarios and i think it's getting faster and in a way it's out of control totally out of control and what i see as one of the foundational pillars of why that's happening. It's something I've said for a long time. It's something that Ian McGilchrist in his work masterfully uh, articulates, but I'm certainly feeling it in a more acute way than ever and meeting it in a more acute way than ever, is that our left brain, our thinking has totally taken over our ability to sense, feel, and connect. And that sounds simple, and in a way it is simple, and I believe it's it's catastrophic, because it's taking us farther and farther and farther away from a profound alignment with life, profound sense of the sacred, and a profound ability to relate and connect. So that's why I say um, two things in a way. And, you know, I think we've talked before, I had this kind of life-changing awakening, age 16, in which, at least on an intellectual level, I totally understood that we live in a much smaller version of reality than we could. That is becoming more and more vivid and visceral. Me. So that's one pillar that we've got locked into and normalized a very small version of reality. And I see that in all the clients I work with and all the organizations I work with. Um, And along with that, we've normalized that thinking is the predominant function. And instead of listening to Einstein's question, simple but essential question, is your mind your master or your servant, we've catastrophically normalized that the mind is our master and that everything is about knowing. Everything is about knowing more and more and more, as if 
that's the best way to navigate life, rather than that being one of the incredible tools we have, but there is a much deeper function within us, which is our experience of life. And within that, I, I just, I mean, we can come back to it, but I'm deeply engaged in McGilchrist's book, The Matter With Things, which is a real masterpiece, absolute masterpiece. And I just the other day read, I think, a beautiful distinction he made when he said that curiosity is totally different from wonder and awe. Because the function of curiosity we have within us is a basically a very left brain function. We get curious about something and we want to know more and more and more, which of course has a place. But in the experience of wonder and awe, there is no knowing. There is no knowing. And to the degree that we cut ourselves off from that, we're in big, big trouble. So all of my work in one way or another is, first of all, to recognize how much we've normalized disconnection and this small version of reality, and then to do everything we can to, it's like to bring back online all the parts of us that have gone offline as we've prioritized thinking as the primary function. Mm. Now that requires a huge shift to go to the second part of your question. As much as I know about, you know, what else is around, what I, because I'm training a lot of coaches at the moment, and I see that the way I'm proposing of working as a coach does go against a lot of normal coaching. And it takes coaches to a particular threshold that is very um, challenging because it's the threshold where you give up trying to know. You give up trying to know where this process should go. You give up, you, you include everything you know, obviously about psychology and psychological development, and you're operating within a framework, which I'd love to, to talk about, but you give up in the, in the session you prioritize full relating and feeling your client and helping them feel themselves. Because the fundamental nature of fragmentation is that we're different parts of us and not in coherence. But if someone starts to feel more of what's actually happening in themselves, whatever it is, it doesn't matter. If someone can actually finally recognize, I feel numb right now. Oh, I feel numb. There is nowhere better to go. This is a radicality. Because if I say to that person, I, I feel that, it's, let's just be with that. Let's really embrace that. And I know psychologically, my knowing is that that has a very important function within them. Why would I want to try and help them go beyond it? Why do I think there's somewhere better to be than numb? No, first, because if we become one with being numb, there's a very high chance that a deep movement will occur. And 99 times out of 100, it does, because we become one. And we're relating intimately. So... It's different to, oh, numb is somehow a block, and it would be better if we could get rid of numbness and actually start feeling more. No, it wouldn't. It's not how things really work. It's not how deep process really works. Deep process means we totally respect every part of what's happening, and we stop trying to get somewhere else. That's my pitch. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's one that I resonate with deeply. And I think it's one that recognizes the, the, the wholeness of our clients and, and, and also is aligned with perhaps seeing our clients as, as, as um, biological, you know, unfolding emergent biological beings, as opposed to, 
I think we might often approach our clients in the way you described before. If we just have our left brain and we think we can know them and learn enough theory and knowledge and psychology, and then we can chart a path forward, you know, deploy a process. Yes. And, and even the fragmentation between therapy and coaching, you know, that's interesting as you speak. I want to ask you about the framework that you, yeah, that you hold in a, a moment. Whole, but That's a whole topic we should talk Yeah. But it's like, and you know, of course, of course, as coaches, we want to be mindful of our own boundaries around our own skill set, you know, and and not re-traumatize people to be, you know, to be trauma skilled and trauma sensitive. And you know, it's interesting we have this we have this delineation between therapy and coaching that's so so strong in some ways. And yeah, when you actually look into it. Let's talk about because uh, I yeah. think it's a very limiting delineation. Yeah. I am I am then I am curious to to know more about the framework that you hold that allows you to work in this way that you're describing. It's that one of the things I'm hearing is, and maybe this is a starting point to talk about that framework. You're you're just including whatever's here. It's not it's not bad if you feel numb. Numb is what's here. Mm. So, could you speak more about that and the framework that allows you to to hold the space for people? Okay. So, so first of all, um, I hold and communicate to whether it's to leaders or um, individual leaders or groups I'm working with that I believe there are two essential strands of development. And they're different and yet interdependent. One is what we might call the awakening strand. So we use meditation, we do subtle body work, we do yoga, we do qigong as as very committed practices um, because they will bring in frequencies that will, in their own way, melt our separateness. They will in their own way awaken the subtle energies within us. They will in their own way take us into more subtle dimensions of consciousness, you know, right through to what's called the non-dual. That's one strand. The other strand, and it's the one that in most corporate coaching and and, um, organizational development is largely ignored is the emotional work, the trauma work. Because I I see that in myself and I see in others, without that, we just get into more fragmentation and, and even spiritual bypass. Like the meditators will tell you, well, meditation dissolves everything. I don't think it does, unfortunately. <laughs> it would be easier if it did. <laughs> no, we have to... We have to work with this. And the composition of this strand is very personal, my biography. It's also what I carry from my ancestral lineage. And in many cases, it's the level that I carry from the collective uh, tribe or culture or nation I'm in. And those all sit within me. So I'm always, always affirming that we have to work with both of those, which, of course, it means that it's totally imperative that we ourselves are working with those. And in many ways, I'm in a phase where both of those have become more intense than ever. Interestingly, I'm experiencing more opening than ever of this kind, and at the same time, touching new layers of of my own personal and ancestral trauma, the Jewish part of me, the being brought up by a bipolar mother and Holocaust trauma father, very unstable childhood. I'm touching new levels of that at the same time as more and more awakening. So um, those have to go together. So then the other thing to say about the framework and this is something I only say to groups or, or individuals when I feel they'll understand what I mean, is that all of the work that I bring and do is energy work. It's 
energy work. It's not, it has, of course, important conceptual framework. You know, when I step into a group of senior leaders, I have to be intellectually coherent. And I believe for the most part I am. And writing a book helped me become even more intellectually coherent. But that's just the wrap. The real work we do is energy work. So in an individual session, if I am through my presence and relational capacity where I can feel you, probably initially even more than you can feel yourself at moments, but I invite you to feel exactly what's happening. Let's say it's numb. Let's say you're sad. Let's say you're frightened. Let's say you're angry. Anything. And you step away from narrative because this is the big block is the way we're constantly in narrative. How are you feeling? I just get a whole narrative from that. No, let's stop the narrative. Let's stop the narrative and let's try to pay attention to what's actually happening. And that can be slow or fast. It depends. You know, people have different capacity for that. But that's always the movement from narrative to experience. And you begin to notice what's happening. And sometimes it helps to say, let's just see what's happening in your body. Just slow down, take your attention down into your body, not your thinking. That's a distinction that some people get very quickly. Some people take longer to get, that paying attention has nothing to do with thinking. Let's just notice what's happening in your body, not because it has meaning, no, but you just notice, yeah, no, I feel some tension here. Okay, let's just stay with that. That's great. You notice tension there. Then what else do you notice? Is there any emotion arising? What's happening? And and a client begins to be able to actually notice. And then with my encouragement is, I'm saying, let's just be with that. Let's fully be with that. Then an energetic process starts to unfold somatically deep in the nervous system. And I feel it in my body. So part of my training of coaches is that our body gets restored over our lifetime to its natural sensibility. So I feel what's happening in you largely by noticing what's happening in my body. Because then once someone becomes more one, it's always about becomes more one. The only way we become more one is by feeling exactly what's happening, whatever it is. Then always some kind of energetic process unfolds. And I don't know where it's going to go, but I profoundly trust the process. It's like in a real conversation. If we know where it's going to go, what's the point of having a conversation? It's not interesting. But it's radical because, I, as I see, most coaches really need to hang on a bit to, oh, I think it's going here, or, or maybe I can make it go here. No, we radically trust the process, which requires us as coaches to be, at least in our work, in a kind of very profound well-being and at peace inside, because then I don't need you to go anywhere other than where you are. Any stress in me, I will impose on you and try and get you to somewhere. The only place I want to get you is to be more where you are. That's, it sounds yeah. very simple, but it... Yeah. It, but it's a it's a lifetime of experience to do that. Yeah, yeah, and it. Uh, I think this is because um, there's two aspects here that I find very interesting. One is the work you're describing. Yeah, and then the other is is almost like the context you're setting for the work. So, because I, I think you know, if we think back to the start of our conversation, you know, and the world's in between the sense of being in between worlds and left brain. Mm. Um, it, it does feel like a lot of people come into coaching and even coaches have this where they want to make change, yeah, mm. which is understandable. That's a, that's a 
you know, if somebody's feeling there's not something not quite right, they want to make change, but it's as if the um, change is kind of layered over the top of the fragmentation you're describing, or it's a way of us, of, of trying to find a place where suddenly I'll feel okay. Yeah. But actually there's an avoidance. And so, um, Right, and I'm just so so. In a way, it sounds like one of the things you're doing is like is you're setting context with your clients. Like this is a different. We're going to do something a bit different here. Yes, yeah. This is really important, actually. And again, it brings in a very interesting principle, which sounds very Zen-like. I'll say it and then try to explain why I say it. Which is that the biggest obstacle to change is trying to change. Now, why do I say that? Because if you look at organizational change, it's well known, it's been known for ages that over 70% of it fails. And that's because there's an intellectual idea of where we should get to, and we don't meet what's here. We just don't meet what's here. We're always trying to get somewhere else, and it doesn't work. We can't manipulate life like that. We try, we do everything possible to try and it doesn't work the only way change happens and same in an individual is by being more fully here so obviously when an individual comes for coaching and they have goals and and of course i respect that very much but i will explain that we're going to look at your interior Because I believe and experience time and time again that if we bring your interior into more coherence, the whole way you view the problem around you will change. That's the the key lever. And, And people kind of say, okay. And then they see it's true. Even in one session, we do some inner, well, it's all inner work, but we do inner process And the problem they brought already feels and looks different. So that's what I hold as a roadmap. So I very rarely engage in discussion about the situation out there because people are always wanting to put the situation out there that if I could resolve it out there, which is, of course, a self-protection from actually looking where it's going to be more vulnerable and and maybe more painful and whatever. So I think that's a very important framework. Same in an organization who's trying to change. No, of course, I understand it would be better. So what's happening is not okay. But first, let's really feel what's happening. Because out of that, change starts to happen. And real change anyway, I think nine times out of 10 or more, is unimaginable when we start. Real change. What I'm experiencing now in my life, I could not have imagined even two months ago. I had no map for it. Because we only have the map that we have. When real change happens, we're in a new landscape. And it's not a landscape we could ever have imagined. Otherwise, we just moved the the existing components around. Well, that's not real change. Something changes, but it's not profound development. I think this is a really important point because, uh, you know, that that chimes to me with what I've been learning about complexity theory is that, you know, there's some people who are critical of like visioning, you know, uh, visioning too much because you you idealize an, imagine or, uh, an imagined future place and, uh, but actually, and that can distract you from being where you are and what wants to be met. And um, there's, there's this notion of adjacent possible. So, so like once you start to be where you are, things start to unfold in a in a more organic sense. And the question I have for you is like I'm really curious about this on my own coaching. Is then how do you hold people's longing, you know, or desires because it's yeah, and, and in a sense, I'm asking why, what orients the exploration? Because, you know, someone might come in and they might say, like, I, you know, I just want to get clear on where I'm heading in my life. You know, I've got this sense I've been in this certain phase now and, 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 and that's complete. And 
So, so you know, there is that topic there. You know, it's like that. That there is. It's important to honor that. That's why they're there. So, how would you, how would you like hold that longing inside of them, and then the, the and then the way you work in this way you're describing. It's great. It's really great how you ask that. Um, I would honor the longing and say that the primary work we need to do is to see where you are right now. I'm not going to help you try and get somewhere. I'm not. I am going to try and help you unfold more and more of the composition of what's happening now, which anyway often has layers. And that's a very important part of the work as well, that there's a kind of architecture and I often see it as a kind of elevator that, that whether it's in one session or more than one, we need to take the elevator down into what's actually the composition of where you are. And if you're longing to get somewhere, is that because you feel lost right now or confused? Then let's be fully with that. Let's not try and get somewhere to avoid the discomfort of where we are now. And I know that if we do that, the desire to get somewhere, the longing will be taken care of, but not in the way the person thinks when they arrive. So I listen to all the where someone wants to get to, and I will more or less make clear, yes, but first we need to be more with what's really happening. Because I know that's how real development occurs. And I'm, you know, I just had a conversation with the CEO I'm, I'm been working with for two years, actually. Um, and she's between jobs. And the way she put it, she put it perfectly. She said, I don't want to fit myself into a small bottle again. But I'm looking, I'm looking because I don't see where the next one is. I said, please. Just accept that you're lost at the moment. Let's be with that. And it's really okay. And I hold you every inch of the way with that. And I, this actually, I, because we have a very strong relationship, I said, I won't let you put yourself back in a small bottle. Because I know she has a much bigger function in the world than that. So we don't like being lost. Our culture doesn't support it. We don't like not knowing. And yet it's essential. All the traditions speak about the importance of not knowing at, at certain moments, of being lost. All the traditions. Jung speaks about it. Dante wrote it about it. The wasteland. And we have to support each other in that. We have to be with each other in that and, and see that there's great treasure in that. And there are different types of unknowing. You know, there's an unknowing of, I can't make sense of this. There's an unknowing of, I don't know what the next step in my life is. And then there's more mystical unknowing, which is that actually in experiences of wonder and awe, there is total unknowing. What is there to know? So there are different types of unknowing. But generally speaking, our left brain absolutely hates any kind of unknowing because it's always trying to put things into the known, which is one of its great tyrannies. Did I answer your question? Yeah. No, that's you know, when client comes with a goal, and of course I hear that, but I know that the way forward has can only be what's here now. All yeah. the layers of it, all the layers of it, which sometimes may be that there's a high awakening happening in you. Let's feel that. And right through to those levels of ancestral trauma here that we need to give space for. It can be anywhere on the spectrum and often a mixture. That's what I mean by the architecture. And my yeah. job as a coach is to be very, very, very tuned into all of that, all the layers. And that's, I think, I mean, I feel it as a great privilege to do the work because it's a deep spiritual practice. And it's taking me to my most sensitized and attuned um, levels of consciousness. So 
um, you know, one I often feel one should be grateful to one's clients for the, you know, the gift of this relating like that. It's very, very beautiful because it, it takes me into more and more oneness. There's a few threads I want to pick up here. One, one is um, it, it seems like whilst we're in these dark times in inverted commas, you know, it feels like, you know, perhaps there's a way of actually seeing what we're going through collectively now in a way and framing that as a, you know, yeah, we might feel more lost or uncertain and, um, you know, that we can make that wrong or bad, you know, as a, as a species, we need to find our way forward quickly, you know, but actually perhaps there's a collective kind of holding of space of something that's, um, breaking down or dying there's a right yeah. yeah yeah i would be cautious about i had a kind of jump when you said we need to find our way quickly no that's what i'm that's what i'm challenging i'm saying yeah that's what because that's I'm, common. Not sure, I'm not sure that's i don't think that's really what's happening in a way as best i can make sense of it i mean that's what i'm saying i'm saying i think a lot of people are saying we need to find yeah. our way quickly but yes. actually i'm saying maybe we could collectively reframe or like hold space actually for the death process the dying process i yeah. i i completely resonate with that child exactly and I often say, and I, I do feel it very strongly, I don't see my work or your work or all of us who are, who are working to really bring in something different. I don't see it as being to avert what's happening. I think, I don't know, my sense is what's happening is way out of control. I fear it's going to get worse and worse. I don't see any chance of really reversing you know, a lot of the collective horrors that are happening. And now we have artificial intelligence, which is already fast getting out of control with very little regulation. But I, so I don't have any motivation to try and stop what's happening. I have a huge motivation to be part of the growing field that, uh, that see that there is a next step for humanity a huge next step but i we i don't think we can have any sense of how that if or how that's going to happen my feeling is i can only be fully committed to that fully committed to that and to navigating this chaotic time with as much community as possible as much truth as possible and as much kind of faith in the deep sense of the word, of the deeper intelligence that's working itself out. I think, I mean, I do think big picture a lot. I think humanity is in one of the most critical points we've ever been at. Mm. And who knows what's going to happen, but we're in this, if it was an individual, we'd say they're getting, you know, an addict. We'd say they're very close to the bottom now. Actually, probably they won't change until some kind of bottom is hit. We know that in individuals. Mm. And it's sometimes scary. Sometimes recently, in a way that I feel is good, even though it's painful, um, I've felt the kind of trauma and suffering around more acutely than ever. And I, I think that's really important. I, I say to CEOs, if you if you if reading the news or watching the news doesn't sometimes break your heart, that's a problem. And I've been living that a bit more in myself. So I thought, well, it's good because you say that to people. So um, Yeah. It's interesting this point. I do want to come back in a moment to what you said about when you're with people and you're tuning into the all the different aspects mm. of them. But this point now that we're talking about. Yeah, you know, we were talking about this earlier in the week a bit, but certainly I'm in a deep inquiry around how, how do I relate to this moment? Because this moment is relating to me mm. and, uh, and, and 
disturbing me and I feel openings occurring as well, deep openings, which are in some ways wonderful, but also in other ways bringing me into a deep intimacy with the world around me. Mm. And, um, and, and that's painful mm. too. Yeah. You know, like my heart feels broken open and, uh, and, and I'm scared. You know, and I feel fear and I, and I, and I, and I feel a, a love for the people around me in ways that I, it's just an incredible, the preciousness of these simple interactions with the, with the loved one in my lives and the people who I, who I don't even know, you know, so it's all become more raw and, um, uh, like part of me wants it to go all kind of safe again, you know, and like, kind of i don't know what that what it is but it, it and and but i don't feel like that's coming back and i don't mean to say like that we can never feel safe on the earth and but it it's it's more like no there's uh there's something afoot right now and that's not going to go away and you can't just ignore it and push it away yeah sometimes you might need to actually take time out from in some way because you it might serve you but um, no, there's a there's a deeper invitation into who you find yourself to be and what's called forth from you in this moment, you know, and 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 the deep inner work required to be able to 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 continue the integration, the cohering, both individually and collectively. Mm. So, yeah, you know, I just noticed that, you know, it's like I'm 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 living I'm living with it day to day. You know, and I don't know if this makes sense to you. Yeah, it makes, first of all, it's beautiful and, and very touching to hear how you speak. And I totally relate to it. And I, I think there are two, two responses. One is how much we need community, how much we need to be able to talk with each other exactly like this, exactly like this. And I could relate to virtually everything you said in my own experience. More and more as well. I feel more and more raw in all departments, from the highest to the most painful. And then what also comes to me, and it's coming, I think, you know, as a, as a response in way to what you say. I recently... Um, my wife and I went somewhere that I've been wanting to go for many, many years for different reasons. And it's a place called Assisi, which I'm sure many people know in, in Umbria in Italy. It was where St. Francis resided in the 13th century and had this radical awakening and formed a whole uh, movement from that, which has become enormous worldwide. It's one of the biggest religious movements worldwide. Um, so anyway, finally we went and it, it really had a, I mean, it was, it was like a, first of all, it's one of the most sacred places in the world in my experience. And it's one of those places like Sfat in Israel where you feel there are the very thin veils, like you, the, the, the higher dimensions are just there. And we spent three days and we went to different apart, different places to do with his um his life. And they're all imbued, you know, with with we were just utterly transported and transfixed. And one of the deepest moments for me, it happened twice actually in two different places, was I I I felt in touch somatically, experientially, with the truth of the fundamental goodness of life, of creation. And I, I felt that I'm touching something very new here. So why I say that is because I think one of our anchors in this growing chaos in our growing rawness of all types is this 
my wife calls it faith in the Jewish tradition. It's called faith. And it's a little bit different from the Christian term. And I used to say, I oh, know I, I can't really relate to that word because it assumes faith in, but I'm beginning to connect more with the word because if we in some way stay connected to that and the way I do now is just, I look, I look at creation. I mean, what could be more extraordinary than creation itself? And the understanding that the human journey is that we were one and then it got shattered and all the traditions have their own mythology around that. In Kabbalah, it's like the vessel shattered and the whole journey of humanity is restoring the pieces in order to evolve back not back, but to evolve into the unity again. And I think holding that is very, very important. And then reading McGilchrist is helping me a lot because he puts it so clearly. He frames it so clearly. So, yes, I still have days and moments where I'm like, oh, what's going on? I'm really not... And then I also look at my own trauma layers and speak about them, and, and that brings healing as well. And then there's this deeper faith, let's call it, in creation. Not in God up there somewhere, but in the divine, sacred, extraordinary miracle of creation. And I think that's... That's very important. It's this for me anyway. And I love, I had the feeling of how you're receiving what yeah. you're saying. <laughs> well, I'm just, I'm just feeling the sense of, of like that, that creation here now, you know, in some ways it's, it's permeating through this conversation. Joel and Nicholas together in dialogue talking and, you know, how we came to be like this, you know, from the Big Bang, you know, if that's where we want to go with it. But, you know, mm. just the, yeah, the, the kind of diversity and miracle of life of how it's unfolded. And I, I, I wonder if I can bring it back to working with people, it, it's right. actually interesting. I think there's some of the things you're just saying now that might be relevant there in terms of, um, maybe faith, how that plays out in mm. working with clients. But um, mm. in particular, I'm interested in what you were saying about, um, you know, tuning in with clients to these different layers. And, right. um, you know, you've, you've spoken about being in uncertainty. So, and, and inviting clients out of narrative into felt sense, which I can get because then, you know, and I, I know you have this word and energy connecting kind of principle yeah. as well. So yes. could you say a little bit about like, what is it, what's happening for you when you're with somebody and you're, you know, you're tuning into them? Like what, what, what are you doing and seeing? And mm. Yeah. And this is what I'm trying to teach. And I'm also discovering that it's, it's, on the one hand, it's not so easy to teach. And on the other hand, people are really drawn to it because it's not like a method as such. But we're in a beautiful process. I have quite a, 26 people in a year-long training with me at the moment. So I'm learning a lot in that as well. So first of all, I have a, an increasingly unshakable faith in the process meaning that even in the, there are times even in the session where I can have no idea what's going on. My mind might say, oh, this is not going to go anywhere. This will be like a failure. I, I hear that little voice in me. And I have complete faith that if we just keep staying true, that's the very highest thing we can do. Because that in itself is repairing fragmentation. Fragmentation is always that there are parts of me and they're not in coherence. And mainly my mind is take, constantly taking me away into narrative about, about. And then I say, I feel confused, 
which is anyway an inaccurate statement, because confusion is not a feeling. Confusion actually is simply, my mind can't make sense of this. So there's also a huge precision in the work, huge precision, interestingly, in such a apparently right-brained territory, this huge precision, one of which is language. Let's talk about that in a moment. So um, faith in the process, and this is, the again, I think one of the biggest thresholds that I see people meet, because every time, every bit of not faith we have in the process comes out of our own inner fragmentation. So in a session, if I'm resting in a deep, deep ease, heart open connection with you, I don't need you to be anything other than what is absolutely true in you. Now, the more that happens, the, why do I say an energy process? Because it starts to happen in the body, for instance. That's a sure sign that this is energy work. Let's say you, even on a very simple level, you say, yeah, now I feel anxious. And then you start to explain. I say, no, no, I don't want to hear the explanation. Just if you're willing, feel the anxiety from them, locate it even in your body, and just go towards it, breathe, feel it. And you say, okay, I'm making it simple. And you say, okay, I'll do that. And I'm feeling it with you. And I see that you're doing it. Well, what happens then usually is a huge difference in your bodily experience and therefore your whole experience. Almost always with anxiety, for instance, you will start to say after a bit, oh, I feel my legs. Oh, I can feel my feet because the energy is moving in the body. And I'm, you ask me what's going on for me. I'm feeling that. I'm tracking that. I'm feeling that in my system. And I often now speak of it as acupuncture, because if you locate fear, you locate the bodily sensation of fear, and we agree to stay with it, that's the acupuncture needle going in. And what does an ac good acupuncture needle do? Well, when I have acupuncture, the needle goes in and oh, it's like streaming all through my body. That's exactly what we're doing here. That's why I call it energy work. And the same is true in a group. When a group starts to get more present, meaning to be more with what's happening, you see people's body change. Literally, people are suddenly sitting differently. That's why I say, do you understand that what we've been doing for the last two days is energy work? Oh, yeah, I feel it. But it's all predicated on my full embodiment. That's why we, our own inner work is never, ever, ever, could never be finished. Because it, I become more embodied as a practitioner, and therefore my system feels you more. Every movement in you, every, and suddenly I feel, oh, there's a four-year-old here. Now we maybe talk about therapy and coaching. I suddenly feel the fear you're feeling. It's also younger. And I might say to you, do, do, does this feel like a fear that also has a history? And if you're already out of your narrative, you'll say, yeah, not because you think about it, because you feel that. And then I might say, what kind of age? And you might say six. And then you might say a bit about what was happening then, or you might not. And I say, Let, let's feel also the six-year-old. Let's feel the six-year-old. And we do. It's, we do. It's like we both, I feel the six-year-old in you. I feel your young, the young boy's experience, like maybe frightened or alone. And then I will maybe say to you, the six-year-old felt very alone, right? And you'll say, yeah. And this landscape is unfolding. It's perfectly held. And that last 
you know, however long it lasts, and then it naturally finishes. So that's where the, but I have to be, I have to feel confident to that. I mean, responsibly confident. And I do most of the time. I do, because, just because of my own work, which is never ending. Yeah. So there are very few places, I, it's always tempting fate to say it, but in my experience so far, there are very few places a client goes to where I don't feel fully at ease to be with them. Even like the deepest despair. And I can feel it. Terror. That's a word. You see, this is why the precision of language is so important. Because when the right word is used, there's even more movement inside and we have to find the right word. And I may offer it. Someone is feeling fear and they, and I say, there's even a kind of note of terror. And they, oh, yeah. Mm. So when exactly the right word is used, it helps our nervous system integrate. There's huge precision with words. And most of the time we're in narrative, it's so imprecise. How do you feel? Blah, 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 blah. It has almost nothing to do with what's actually happening. That's beautiful. That's why poetry is so amazing. Good poetry. A good line of poetry. Because it's it's one with, with feeling and emotion and energy. I don't know if I'm answering you. Yeah, it's it's beautiful, and I just feel the this this sort of alignment between the energy of an experience and the 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 fluidity of that experience, of how, mm. and and then the the giving word to that experience, and right. that actually ah, that's part of that process of unfolding, and right. um, and that the in that sense, the word kind of a kind of Gnostic feel to it. And I, you know, in a sense of like knowing and being come together as one. Exactly. And Beautiful. that word and energy are connected. Yes. And in a way, that's the, one of the highest functions of the left brain. Mm. It's to be in service in that way. Yeah. And I like how you put that very much. But pre- presume, I'm, I'm guessing this is, you'll say yes to this, but I'm imagining you know, for some people, it might be like they might feel anxiety. If we take your example, and then they might notice that they actually don't want to feel that anxiety. Perfect. And so then you would like include the, that. So you don't course. push in and make them feel that's the anxiety. The, that's yeah. the worst thing. Why would I do that? Yeah. The yeah. only reason I do that is that I would somehow believe I'd feel better. Right. No, why do I need to do that? We have to look at that. Of course, you say, no, I don't really want to feel that. Perfect. Let's embrace that. Of course. It would be such a disrespect of you and more deeply a disrespect of life if I thought it would be better that you feel. Who am I to say that? Hmm. Because ultimately, we could say that one of the deeper purposes of the work is to restore movement. And the more we're one with whatever is happening, the more movement occurs. And it's paradoxical, because if you become one with, I don't want to feel this, And I totally meet you and love you in that, love you in that. That's a word we haven't used yet, but it's so much at the core, I even forget. I love you in that. And you feel totally embraced and loved in, no, I don't want to feel that. Almost certainly some deep movement will start to occur in you. And I don't know where it's going to go. And, and I, if I saw anyone try to, I've got another group of coaches I'm training, and they send me videos of their work. And, and nine and a half times out of 10, my comment is, stop doing so much. 
Stop trying to get someone somewhere. Mm. In one way or another, that's almost always my feedback. Yeah, I, I just get a sense for a lot of coaches, a lot of people that is just going to, as you've already named in our conversation, they're going to be confronted with, oh, what's happening? Like, no, nothing's yeah. happening. We're just oh, like, you know, if a client's just like, oh, I feel numb, I'm feeling nothing. Right. And then you're like, we're just, let's just, let's just feel that together. We can include that. And then, and then, you know, five minutes later, they still feel numb and nothing. Yeah. And then you're like starting to be like, oh shit. (laughs) But why? Because I'm not at ease. Right. Right. It's as simple as that. So I'm getting anxious inside. And therefore I want to help them not be numb. So I feel less anxious inside. This is why our inner work has to be the number one priority. Would you say then, uh, it's like maybe this isn't a real quick, do you, do you think there's ever, ever a place where the coach might get stuck in terms of, Yeah, like not like, um, so they might not in terms of them feeling like, oh, God, what's going to happen here? Nothing's going to happen. But just say if a coach is like, yeah, there's a way in which the client is, um, the coach could bring something that might support them to then. You're right. Begin to that movement to begin to take place more easily. Yeah, you're absolutely right, Joel. You're absolutely right. And I don't want to give the impression that I'm just kind of sitting back, accepting everything. Well, I am. And sometimes I can be very, uh, um, I can make a strong intervention. The, the, but the critical thing is that it doesn't come from my discomfort. I've had sessions where actually I, I, I shocked myself. I said to a guy, you just need to grow up right now. That's what you need to do. You need to grow up. And he was totally shocked. But it was actually a very good intervention. (laughs) But it wasn't coming from, you know, oh, I don't feel good here. It was a service. It was an act of service to him. And, of course, if I do feel there is strong, some strong emotion that's not being contacted. I will very gently offer that sometimes. I might very well say, you know, I have a sense you feel very alone in your life. Is that right? Or I have a sense that you feel actually there's some, some kind of sadness you're really carrying. Absolutely, I'll do that. But it's not coming from I need you to get somewhere in order that I feel more comfortable. It's my a sense, yeah, exactly. Because my sense is that you can really feel the difference when someone's attached to what they're saying to you. And when there's a kind of like, it's clean, you know, as this like clean, it's cleanly a offering. Kind of, it's a loving offering. Yeah. And could you say something about how, you you know maybe to coaches listening of course of course like the real one of the answers to this question is like yeah if you've done the deep integrated work yourself that's the foundation yeah you you always you know and forever exactly and um like something like an in could you talk about how you you know you said like it's not coming from um that i need to get the client anyway to get something how do you, how have you worked with like refining your connection to that insight or that, 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 you know, that knowledge, that knowing that's coming from you with what you're seeing and then trusting and sharing that? Like, is there a way that we can, you know, begin to play with that more? Is it just, is that just a byproduct of doing the deep integrative work or? Well, yeah, it's, I think that's where we we hit exactly when I said it's difficult to train this. <laughs> but, you know, in all the trainings I run, one of the foundations is practice. So how do I learn? I learn through doing it. 
and that's also why I often feel very grateful. So I'm learning all the time. But also in any kind of training, we need to work with each other all the time. I have two colleagues that we meet regularly and we work with each other. Firstly, because it's a fantastic resource. But that's also learning for each other. It's a learning for each other. So there's no, I mean, you don't get good at anything without huge amounts of practice. And we need to work with each other. And then we find if we're doing our own work within all of this, that it, it happens naturally. And we understand the principles. Um, we understand about the emotional landscape. We understand and we begin to notice when we can feel, oh, there's an ancestral energy here or a collective energy here. You know, like if I work with a Jewish person or an African-American person, it's highly likely that at a certain moment, I'm going to feel in them that there's a level of terror, anger, grief, that has a, this is where we can, it's, a, it's another word to bring in frequencies. Those, those have frequencies which we need to become sensitive to. That this, this um, anger you're feeling now, or even as a woman, this has a very collective layer as well. And let's, let's honor that. Let's see if we can feel that as well. This is the architecture of emotion as well. But we, we gain that sensibility, I think, just by practice and practice and practice and contacting it in ourselves. I've done so much work with the Jewish trauma in me, and there's a lot further to go. And my father's huge Jewish trauma, which he never, ever began to resolve. Mm. Mm. I, you know, now have a home in Italy where I spend a lot of time and on the one hand, it's an amazing place. And on the other hand, it's bringing me more and more into contact with his unresolved trauma. He had to flee Italy at the beginning of the war and never went back to live there. And I'm now living there almost on his behalf. And I say, okay, you see, I get chills in my body when I say that. Yeah. Yeah, that's beautiful. It's kind of, uh, I, 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 as you speak, I kind of feel the, the, the. I don't know if this is the, the right brain element, but anyway, the, this, it's not conceptual, yeah. So, through practice, you're, you're kind of, you're coming back and again and again, and you're kind of acclimatizing or reclaiming certain frequencies, yes. familiarizing yourself with them, and they're. I don't know if they're like post-conceptual or non-conceptual frequencies. Um, and then you, yeah, you, you know, so you, you kind of start to feel them or sense them in others too. And, and I'm kind of feeling the, also this sense of place, you know, and um, connection to the earth in this work too, you know, in, in the resolution of trauma, like the ancestral element to it and the collective element to it that, Perhaps for too long, a lot of leadership development has taken place within a bubble, you know, oh, isolating absolutely the coach, yes. uh, the client from from uh, just you know seeing them as a as a separate individual. Yes, uh, not yes. even yeah. So not even including the context of their their work right. and their relationships at work, but also their ancestral collective. A hundred percent, and that's why this whole relatively new field called trauma-informed leadership that people like Amy Fox are pioneering. And I, in my own way, are also very much living into and the work I do with Bob Anson as one of the pillars I hold as well. And, and the core of it is our move. And that's why it's so rich, this journey. My move, let me speak very personally, into more and more and more and more embodied experience of life in which my narrative and my conceptual capacity are servants but my core is an embodied unknowing experience of life artful embodied 
and then as you say you know on, on a on a good day i can meet someone in the street and my heart opens to them to their whole experience of life and their difficulty and their trauma because i'm open i'm not in stuck in my narrative bubble that's for me the biggest core of this work to break our narrative bubble and come back into deeper and deeper connection with life and therefore with the sacredness of life well amen to that mm. actually feels to me like this is a good place to to kind of bring our conversation to a close there's many other questions but so i want to honor that and actually uh, just name that you will be teaching as well. I know you have your own programs, but also in the power of presence, yes, uh, which is going to be starting soon. And you're going to be talking about many of these topics and teaching many of these topics and practicing exactly. in that program too. Yes. Yes. And I love doing that. And I, again, I just so much honor what you put together with that program. And I'm very grateful to be invited to participate. So thank you. Yeah. And and where can we find out more about your work too, Nicholas? Nicholasiani.com. And then this wonderful new platform that's emerged out of the fact that I've been running Leader as Healer for nearly a year now with the world's largest law firm, which is interesting, and the European part of the world's largest law firm, um, in-person retreats. We've got this beautiful new platform of 30-minute coaching sessions. And the person knows when they come, because they've got a document, they'll have just two minutes for their narrative. And then 25 minutes we work with the process. And it's unbelievable what's been happening with that. I have a whole team. And that's matrixleadershipdevelopment.com. And it's a beautiful website, matrixleadershipdevelopment.com. It includes something I've I've visioned for years, and finally we've realized it, is a virtual temple. So there's, if you look at the menu on there, there's something called a door. And I always imagined that we could create something like this so that when you need, you literally click and you actually see a door opening. And you have the sensation you're going into a temple. And it works, at least for, for most people I know. And you sit in there one minute, 10 minutes, as long as you want. And then you leave and, and you, the door closes. So you actually have a visceral experience of walking into a sacred space. And then when you're ready, coming out. So that's on, on the website as well. And people can book individual sessions as well whenever they want on the website nice thank yeah you. thank you nicholas yeah. yeah i i love how over the years our, our contact and our conversations get deeper and deeper so love lots of love to you and thank you